0: I'm Andrew. And I'm Kim. How are you doing tonight, Andrew?
1: Uh, Doing pretty good. This week has been, I don't know, it's just felt like every single day has just been like a burst of things happening all at one time, and then suddenly just like right at the last hour things fall off.
0: Oh, that's nice.
1: So days have been going by really quickly.
0: That's awesome. I've had enough slow time this week to catch back up on all of the things that I've been buried under for the last couple of weeks prior so
1: that's big yeah up. i've been waiting for a little bit of slow time to kind of go through and um we're, we're kind of in the i don't even know if you call it start middle or end definitely not end we're in a hardware refresh of sorts mm. and so i have a lot of older models laptops that i need to try and wipe and set up to be loners or lab computers
0: Oh, so there's always something. But
1: it's just projects like that that are just, you know. Yeah. If I get time. Like it's
0: not necessary, but yeah. you need to get it done eventually, and it's just kind of always at the back of your mind until it's done. Yep. Yeah, I'm yeah. familiar. <laughs> I have cases like that like they so our part of our SLAs are that we are supposed to try to resolve our cases, like 85% of them are supposed to be resolved on the first day. Um, So, you know, that's a lot of your, like, password resets and doing things with um, kind of your more basic, like, how do I do X kind of questions. It's feasible. It's not entirely undoable. And then it's like by three days, you're supposed to have something like 89% of your cases closed. And then by the five-day mark, it's like 90% five or 98 or something like that. Like it's really high. And I have just had, you know, new new software released. There's a lot of things that need testing and going through and what have you. And so I've just had a lot of these cases that I can't possibly within the five day range get all of the things tested and out there, and then you know, like if we have to submit it to development, then it goes off of that. But until it gets there, it's like Ugh. no, I
1: <clears throat> we're we're doing the same thing where um, our big goal for everybody or for our department is to have all of our tickets solved within an average of twenty four hours.
0: So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Which is good because, you know, there were instances of things that sat open for, you know, 7, 14 days. They didn't need to be.
0: And that's unnecessary. And it from a end user point of view, it's like you don't care about them because it's a lot of times the ones that sit like that, either they're really difficult and you have to do a lot of work to get them done or they seem trivial to us as IT people because it's like, whatever, your Windows update, and it moved a thing to one side to the other, and you want to move it back. Like, to me, I don't
1: care. (laughs) No, it's a lot of stuff like that. And then, um, like, you get the the unsolvable ticket. I just had one of those this week. My headset, and someone roughly above me, and then someone else on some other part of the building. Our headsets just, our voices cut out when we're talking. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what wireless headset we use, but they do it. And the only thing we can think of is its interference. Right. And that's just, well, too bad, so sad, you know?
0: Right. And when it comes to interference and, and the things that are not directly connected to the place that you're at, you you can't do anything. Yeah.
1: But those tickets sit open then for a week while you're troubleshooting. At yeah. least,
0: yeah. Such is the life of IT. Yep. And, oh, or... I've had a few cases recently where it was like, I called them and they couldn't reproduce it. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, if you have this trouble again, yada, yada, call us back. And so then I close the ticket and then like a day later, they'll reopen the ticket. And I'm like, no, my resolution rates.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Outside of that, do you have any
1: fun news for us today? Yeah. Yeah, I got something cool here. First thing I want to say, though, is as a heads up to anyone that's still running Windows 7, Vista, I think it's Vista.
0: Ooh. Uh,
1: there was a very critical vulnerability that if you haven't updated and you've just been lazy, you haven't cared about it. Do it. It's been a, a threat, a vulnerability that's been out there for a long time now, but it's just getting to the point of where they're saying you just have to do it. So if you're a whole, if you're a Windows Seven holdover, make sure you update your computer. And then, uh, right, my other. Piece of news, which I thought was kind of cool, is we've talked a lot about passwords in the past. And yes. I think we're all familiar by now with two factor authentication, where you get like a text message or even like an app on your phone where you just hit a button.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the text message two factor authentication used to be considered very secure, has now been considered
0: <laughs> basically,
1: I mean, it's better than not, but it's not good. Because people can easily intercept your texts with getting your phone number and then you never know about it. And it's just even apps on your phone can spy on your texts. They intercept it, delay it, send it to you.
0: Yeah. And then there's SIM swapping too, which is where somebody basically takes your phone number, goes to the company and goes, hey, I got a new phone. And then they use your phone number for a new phone and then they can get all of your authentication. And they go through all of your stuff within like 24 hours and can get to whatever they want to. It's
1: real scary. So the the two things password wise that are in the news recently is Google has announced their next gen USB-C key, which is mm-hmm. um, basically like something you put on like your key ring. And uh-huh. whenever you want to get into a website app or service that is compatible with this, you physically have to plug this key into your computer and that it's actually okay. acts as a like rotating code. So like that key doesn't always have the same code on it. It just has an sure. algorithm that's constantly going through. So that's a really secure one. But it's kind of, I don't know. It's it's a bit if you're not like an NSA whistleblower, <laughs> maybe it's a little overkill for some people. Right. So, what I think is pretty cool is that the four major carriers are making a Kind of like a password, uh, two-factor thing. It's been released. It's called yeah. ZenKey. 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 Okay. And it's not going to be out for a little while. Sure. But basically, what it is is it's a text message two-factor, but it also looks at your phone hardware, your SIM, uh, your telephone number, and a couple other things that they keep in you know the algorithm or whatever to verify your identity. So if you go on a website. Your phone will just pop up with an app This is, is this you? You hit a button, yes, and then you're on.
0: Oh, that's really cool. But I think it's... It's meant to be like two-factor authentication for like multiple, whole yeah. bunch of things then. All at yeah, work, I, like,
1: right? it, I mean, it's taking into account the amount of time that you've been with your carrier. Oh, interesting. Yeah, everything. It's It's basically the two-factor just beefed up. And yeah, I think it's cool that the different carriers are kind of coming together on it.
0: Yeah, because really security is the huge thing right now that needs to be addressed most of all. Like, it, <laughs> there's just so many things out there that are scary and taking your information Yeah, it. it's, it's not good. It's not good at
1: all. And they're saying that with the rise of, you know, um, quantum computing and uh, supercomputers, oh, yeah. passwords themselves, just passwords, passwords themselves, just are going to be obsolete like no matter how long of the password you. you create it just it won't matter. So we're going to have to start you we're going to have to start using like two factor and and biometric and
0: biometrics. You know. Yeah. Cuz at least with biometrics like in theory they're hackable but it takes a lot yeah. more work. Like you have to, you have, you have, to, to have
1: something mm, hackable worthy.
0: Yeah. Like you have to physically get somebody's fingerprints or th- you know, their voice recognition or or their face.
1: <laughs> their face.
0: Although, the, that was one thing that was mentioned with um, Google's new Pixel 4. They, it has the face unlock feature. And there was some security concerns around it because you don't have to have your eyes open uh. in order for it to recognize your face and unlock. So if you are incapacitated, it could potentially cause... You know, like your hacker could then just grab your phone use your face to unlock it while you're passed out. So that was one thing that I heard. And I was like, I never even thought of that. Oh, man. So that's, you know, another version of that. But I think as long as they make it so that your eyes have to be open and focused on, you know, something like probably I could see this being like they have a dot on the screen you have to look at kind of thing. But we'll see we'll see how that goes.
1: So, what is our topic for today?
0: Well, I've been playing a lot of Zelda recently. Ooh, good choice. <laughs> right? It's I I I love Zelda, but um I was thinking, you know, we've talked about like how to get a console or or like what consoles can do and what computers can do, but we've never actually talked about what video games are. <laughs> So, taking it back real old school and uh, talking about the basics of what video games are and then kind of, you know, getting into what is happening in the video game market today,
1: which is interesting. So, I I assume most people understand what a video game is, so we'll we'll skim over that real quick. But (laughs) basically, it's you're playing a game for fun, usually, unless it's multiplayer, and then you're never having fun. And... (laughs) You're trying to compete a goal, at least, usually. Wait, I say usually, because there's always a game that breaks the mold.
0: Well, that's true. There are some that you just, like, run around and don't I really mean, do much. I I
1: had an app on my cell phone where the whole part of the game was to not play it. You just interesting. let it sit on your phone and run. And the longer period you went without checking to see how much leveled up you were, the more you leveled up. Yeah. So, it was like an anti-game, kind of. But yeah, so... They, they've been around for a while um in my research i saw that way back in like 1952 before we even really had computers
0: what did they play video games on
1: it, it looked like a like a like a radioscope tv type thing oh, interesting. yeah like it was very rudimentary just something probably like a fun concept of sorts uh, most people probably understand the concept of the arcade sure, sure sure and i would say that's where i would consider probably the the root of gaming oh yes of what we know today where you had that like big room, yes. that building that you went into, Yay. and there were all these lights and sounds, and all these TVs that had the the characters and stuff that you could control and play each other on. But the thing, the key with that is, you had to travel to get there. Mm-hmm. That wasn't just like in your home, unless you were right. like Richie Rich or something. <laughs> and then, um, in about the nineteen eighties or nineties, we saw kind of the boom when people started bringing in these devices into their home. So, like you know. Yeah, the Atari, the Commodores, uh, the the Mac fruits. I love that that computer. I need to buy one someday. Um, th- these these computers that you brought in, and they really weren't. I think the key was they really weren't practical for anything at that point. Like your business wasn't requiring you to no, learn how to use a computer. It was
0: just games.
1: You weren't going to be using it to navigate because there were no real satellite maps. You know, so. There were games and word processors, and exactly. it was kind of a novelty.
0: That was about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And then uh, we kind of hit today, where uh, I would say probably around the I, w- I, w- I would say the 2000s it boomed. I, I distinctly remember about 2001 yes. gaming really took off, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's just me though.
0: If that was your age, or if that was yeah. Well, I mean, for sure Nintendo, like, there was the whole console war. It's still kind of happening. But, you know, it w- It used to be, like, you. Atari fell away. And then there was the Sega and the Nintendo. And those were, like, the two fighters for a while. And then we got a PlayStation from Sony, which did the Dreamcast, which
1: Whoa. I don't think anybody remembers. Really. Come on. I know. <laughs> How rude of me. The Dreamcast was like the sleeper console of the days. That was a great machine.
0: It was a great machine. It just didn't have very many games, which yeah was kind of the problem with a lot of these was that there was console-exclusive games. Like, Nintendo had their whole catalog that was pretty amazing, like 90% of the Nintendo catalog. But the the reason, if you've ever heard the phrase, Nintendo hard exists is because Nintendo wanted to make it so that you couldn't beat a game in a single rental because that was the thing at the time. You went to Blockbuster and you got your video games or you got your movies and you took them home and you played them because it was a physical cartridge or a physical disc that could be lent out in such a way. So that was interesting. And so Nintendo made it hard enough that you had to own the, the actual game to be able to finish it otherwise you were just like you couldn't rent it over the weekend and finish it unless that was all you did and you were real good <laughs> and that was the 90s so then it it progressed and then we got uh, into I would say kind of today's run of consoles like Nintendo's always been in the game and then they kind of branched out and went and focused more on their 3DS yeah
1: yeah
0: I mean, they've always been kind of kid-focused, but they they went out and and focused more on their 3DS for a while, and then we had the Wii, which was one of the first motion control, which is really interesting dynamic, but their motion controls are kind of garbage, to be honest.
1: It stuck around, though. Like, it it found its places.
0: It did. Like, Wii Bowling, fantastic. Wii Metroid, not so much.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it allowed the other competitors to see what you could do with motion. So you started seeing, like, I think Xbox, in my memory, might have been one of the first to follow suite. Um, um, but definitely PlayStation yeah. has taken it recently. Where as far as their PlayStation 4, which I own, like, the, the mm-hmm. controller itself is just always on, like, motion control. To where, like, if you ever need to, like, type anything in the game, you just move your controller around to point at the letters. It's awesome.
0: And I think the probably the physical build of that has increased as well, and like controllers now are stupidly expensive, partially because they all have motion control or
1: like a touchpad on top, or
0: Mm -hmm. yeah, which is nice, and especially for as complex as the games have gotten, necessary. So that's good.
1: And uh, kind of basically being the big brother to all of this, sitting in the background when. Everyone's talking about the new Xbox and PlayStation. It's just your humble PC. <laughs> I...
0: Oh, gaming rigs are not yeah.
1: humble. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very fair point. They <laughs> they blow consoles out of the water if you want to have the best of the best. And you want to have amazing graphics and modability mm-hmm. and all that. I a lot of people will argue that like true gamers are on the PC. There's that classic consoles versus PC gamers. Yeah. I've always been more of a computer gamer, but I feel like that's just because there's more that I can do, you know?
0: If you're going to invest $2,000 into something that isn't just controllers yeah. and, and wires hooked up to your television, like it makes sense to have a computer. Well,
1: and one of the things that uh, we'll talk about here in a little bit, but that PCs excel at, is that not only can you put like physical games in, like a CD or a DVD... Um, But you also have, like, web browser games, like the classic Flash games, you know, from our days old. Um, And then nowadays we see a huge domination of game launchers. So things like Steam, Origin, Uplay, Battle.net. These are basically pieces of software where they host a library of games that you can buy. And then when you buy them, they put them into your, basically, library. So you can play whenever you want. You just download them, hit and go.
0: And then that game can transfer from PC to PC as well. Yep.
1: Anywhere you can log so, into that account, you know, you have that game.
0: Exactly. It might take a while to download sure. depending on where you're at. But.
1: <laughs> and then our kind of third biggest one that's kind of becoming the main one nowadays, um, a lot of gamers won't admit to this but phone gaming is kind of the biggest market right now and that's just because everybody and their mom is playing a phone game if it's you Mm -hmm. know some kind of like candy crush or something like that
0: something mindless you can play for yeah five minutes while you're waiting for something yeah those are real really popular because they're good money makers for people
1: oh definitely
0: and the way that they've made money in the past in games when it started, it was things like you would go out and you would buy the cartridge. And that cartridge would cost uh, 20 to $60 or whatever it was at the time. And that was all the money that that company made from that game. So they would spend years developing it. And if it turned out to be a completely trash game, they then had a bunch of cartridges sitting around and they lost a bunch of money. So Mm -hmm. as they developed, They started kicking games out a little bit faster. So, like, for instance, all the Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo devices all started being connected to the Internet. So you could get that cartridge or that disk or what have you, and you could put it in your device. But then they could kick it out a little bit faster. And if there was a bug, then they could do an update. And so all of the devices had to have memory on built into them so that they could have the downloadable updates to be able to put in there to fix whatever bugs are happening. Well, that evolved into being able to download a lot of extra content. And so you might still have that device or that cartridge or what have you and put that in there. But then when you were done with whatever was on that cartridge, there's something called a DLC, downloadable content, <laughs> that is in addition to whatever was originally put out. So some of these things, it and you could finish the game without it, but sometimes it added so much extra gameplay onto the, the game itself that it was worthwhile to download this extra content. Um, and especially like you were talking about with multiplayer games, some of that downloadable content was really overpowered. And so when people started getting the base game and then trying to go up against people with this downloadable content, it was, oh man, it was.
1: And a lot of people get upset about it too, because, you know, like you said, these companies would spend two, three years developing this game. Right. Whereas now they can kind of feel like, well, we can spend a year to make a base game and then we'll keep, making other things. And then a year later, we'll kind of release the other half.
0: And that's kind of what it turned, has turned into, to an extent. So there's a lot of ethics questions you could put to that. But, mm-hmm. but they turned it into more of a steady stream of income for them, which historically has been really hard for game companies to do. And so to get that money to pay for your developers, current developers for an upcoming game, it was really difficult. And so now they've got this kind of rolling income where they, you know, a game is $60 when you first get it, and then a year later you can pay another $20 and get more content, and then maybe six months later another $20 for more content, et cetera, et cetera. And so in some of those ways, like the game could potentially net them a lot of money over several years if they just keep coming out with little content packed so that's been a really good way for companies to make money but now you can just download entire games and do that kind of stuff as well but in especially the phone market the base game sometimes is actually either free or super inexpensive because they can pay mm-hmm. with all of their in-app purchases
1: and the, the biggest route i see when people do that with phones is where pretty much everything's unlocked. But they have a device to where you have to pay to play it more than just like twenty, thirty minutes. Yeah. So there's some sort you, of like resource that you use and then if you run out, then you have to wait for the next day. Right. But you can pay to keep playing type of thing. Exactly.
0: And so, you know, you get people hooked on the the game and then pretty soon they're like, oh, I can't play anymore today. Let me spend 99 cents, and I'll be able to play for the rest of the day or whatever. Well, 99 cents every day—it's 365 dollars that you pay for (laughs) a game. Or and then if you start, you know, paying um, for—actually, there's an addiction I know of at least one. I'm sure there's other people. An addiction psychologist who has been working with the video game company to try to make their basically try to make their games addictive, and to get them. Yep. You know, the most playtime, the most money income situation. So, for instance, loot boxes are a thing. And it's like gambling in game. But you don't think of it this way when you're playing because you go to the game and you buy a chance to get something really cool. So whether that's a skin for your character or a cool weapon or what have you. Normally, they're not yeah. particularly game altering.
1: Normally. It's still a, a random thing. And there are countries that actually have deemed it as gambling and forbidden them. I think France is one.
0: Because part of it is with like the addiction specialists, they started doing it that way because people will get addicted to the, the joy of being able to open a loot box and be like, oh, I got cool stuff. And then it's that that tension of will I or won't I, and it's it's something within our brains that it just, I don't know satisfies is the right word, but <laughs> it definitely trips yeah. the brain. In some ways, it's interesting the way that we're heading, and there definitely needs to be a little regulation because there was a whole, oh gosh, was it Activision or Blizzard or both maybe that had a game that, like, it basically broke the game if you got certain pieces of loot and you just won. I don't even remember which game it was now, but Star Wars something, I think.
1: Oh, Battlefield 2. There too. we go. Or Battlefront 2. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That sounds Yeah. Right. And so, like, there was a big hubbubaloo because, like, if you weren't willing to pay hundreds of dollars for these different loot boxes and things, there's no way you were not going to even come close to winning. So there is quite the
1: uproar about that. In the uh, in the future of gaming, kind of what we see going right now is a subscription streaming model. Right now, and I'm even a part of one of the subscriptions. You can pay like four ninety nine a month, and you get an access to a library of like eighty games. So now you're not even going out to like Steam buying a game, and it stays in your library. You're paying Steam for an access, or you're paying whatever for an access to a library of how oh, a ton of games. Yeah. yeah. So if it feels like it works for you, where, like, there's 20 games that you want to play that would cost you, you know, hundreds of dollars, well, you know, you can justify it. But the thing you have to realize is once you're done with that subscription, it's gone. Yeah. You don't have access to that game anymore.
0: Which, if you're like me and you play a game, yeah. like, 12 times and then you're done, that's fantastic. <laughs>
1: But instead, unless if you play the game twelve times over and over again, like uh, like Oblivion or something, or uh, Skyrim. Oh yeah, Skyrim. Skyrim's a game that you just always come back to. Yeah, it just never. Yeah. Ends.
0: I I played all the way through, and I thought I'd finished, and it glitched out at the end, and I didn't end up being able to defeat the final guy. But then I went back through, and I was like, I missed so much the first time I played it. You know, it was just like, huh.
1: And uh, with the subscription, something that's probably just going to become common with that as well. And it's really kind of cool as we're starting to see streaming games now. So Google has their, I think it's called Strata Stradia, okay. and it's basically that library of games, uh-huh. but you can play it on hardware that is very weak.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So you don't need you don't need a top level gaming graphics card. You don't need you know, 16 gigabytes of RAM, you don't need an i7 processor. You just need a computer with a fast internet connection. Because all of the processing is done on Google's computers, and they just send you what they see you're controlling, basically. And it's developed enough to where, in the past, they were horrible. I've tried them before, and they just didn't work out. Not even between my own network. So, like, between my home computer and then in the other room, my TV like, the streaming was always just laggy. Right. But it's gotten so good now with the speed of our internet and the the, the amount of, like... um,
0: The way they can um, compensate for the optimi- lag and the optimization. Yeah, of the, the optimization mm-hmm.
1: and everything. So now, you know, you're going to start seeing... You're going to be able to play, you know, these top-level games on your little cell phone or on your TV itself. So your TV, you just Bluetooth a remote control to it, and you play it. Oh,
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And that'll be really nice for those who don't like wires and things hanging everywhere.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Or just imagine being able to be like, you know, sitting in your room playing uh, Gears of War and you have to go to the bathroom. So you're sitting on the toilet playing Gears of War and your mom's like, come on, you got to get to the dinner table. So you're eating there, you know, you're having your pot roast, playing your Gears of War. (laughs) So it's, it's, you could pick up and go from device to device to device and, you know.
0: Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And especially with the way that phones are headed, like phones and TVs and all of these things are trying to be smart and like entertainment, like do your entertainment for you, basically. So yeah, that's a really cool thing that you can go from.
1: And another show, which we're going to have to do probably as an exclusive, because I don't want to get into it in this one is virtual reality. And that's becoming a huge thing that's even beyond gaming.
0: Yeah, that's not just gaming. That's a whole other conversation, for sure. It won't be next time, because we'll have a guest. But the time after that, we'll have to talk about virtual reality. So, yeah, I really... Like I said, I've been into Zelda recently. So... (laughs) (laughs) That's one of those great open-world things that you can uh, play over and over again. And I think... Or at least Breath of the Wild is that I think you can probably still d- discover more things. And especially if you get the DLC, there's a lot more to explore. But if you like exploring with us, you can help us support <laughs> our gaming. <laughs> That's not true. It goes back into the podcast. <laughs> but you can help support us by going to patreon.com forward slash service desk podcast. And you get some cool perks like being able to hang out in our discord. Uh, we have little audio extras once in a while.
1: Uh, if you want to reach out to us in any way, all you have to do is just search for us on uh, 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 social media at uh, Service Desk Podcast. So, you know, we're on Twitter, Facebook, our website. And if you want to submit a ticket, you can go ahead and just email us at servicedeskpodcast at gmail.com.
0: And if you like what you've heard and don't have any cash right now, because you're spending it all on games (laughs) you can go out and rate and review us on itunes or any of the places you can review podcasts because there's quite a few
1: of them now yeah there's a ton i'm andrew i'm kim and And we are are your your techie techie friends. friends